Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Harbor, a safe space to have awkward conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Selena Caesar Chavan, who is your host, and we welcome you to enjoy this series where we discover and unpack things around equity and justice that are often not talked about, probably haven't been considered, and ways to advance going forward. We are rolling and this is the first podcast that we're doing for Queen's Health Sciences. And we're just using this podcast to explore nuances of diversity, inclusion, equity, and ultimately justice where we want to be. And through ways that are so often nuanced that sometimes we forget that they exist. You know, we're talking about diversity in a way that allows people to explore it a little bit deeper, understanding culture and how that impacts inclusivity, understanding how we get to equity and what power and privilege looks like, and ultimately, how do we remove barriers and have allies and co-conspirators to eventually get to a point where we're talking about the ultimate goal, which is justice. And so today, we are going to be talking about holidays and celebrations and their impacts, not just on how people are belong in spaces, but how people feel in terms of their mental health and their well-being. And oftentimes, we don't even think about that. We take it for granted that we have certain holidays that we explore every year. And we really want to unpack that a little bit in this conversation. So today, um, I should introduce myself. My name is Selena Caesar Chavan, and I'm hosting today's podcast. I'm a senior advisor here at Queen's in the uh, EDI office, or the Equity, Diversity, Inclusion office. And um, I'm here today with Dean Philpott, uh, who is uh, the Dean of Queen's Health Sciences, has been so since 2020, which is an infamous year. A lot of things have happened came here with a mandate to change the culture of Queens and eventually put out this wonderful strategic plan called Radical Collaboration, which I'm hoping we could touch on in this podcast. And we're also here with Safia Mullick, who is a third year, just finished second year, medical student. Uh, congratulations on finishing your second year. I mean, that must be really awesome. Um, but a third year student. So we have leadership faculty as well as the the undergraduate medical education learner perspective and myself. So let's just kick this off. Uh, we talked a little bit or we I, I introduced by talking about the fact that holidays and celebrations are often sort of just we take for granted. I'm going to turn it over to Dean Philpott and just say like what holidays and traditions have traditionally been observed at Queen's and why must we start to look at this in a very different way? Well, let me start by saying thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here in this beautiful studio here at Queen's University and uh, very happy to be with you, Selena, as well as you, Safia. Um, what a great conversation this is going to be. I'm really interested in trying to look at issues of equity and inclusion from that really pragmatic lens of, of holidays. And you, you asked me about sort of how, what what's the tradition at Queen's, and I'm probably not the best person to answer that, having only been here for a couple <laughs> of years. So, But what I will say is that, as you know, uh, soon after I arrived, you joined the team and our Office for Equity, Diversity and Inclusion opened up. 
And people like our communications team, for example, really jumped on board to start to think about equity and what that meant from a communications point of view. And they seized on the opportunity to say one of the ways that we can try to get a message of inclusion to our community is to start to look at certain holidays. And so, as you will remember, the first year that you were here, Black History Month, I'm not sure how much that had been celebrated in the past, but the comms team went um, went wild yeah. <laughs> and put out a whole bunch of really interesting content. And they said that their engagement on social media during Black History Month in 2021 was the biggest engagement they've ever seen. And it was right. it made me think, that's what recognition of a special month can do in terms of people just saying, wow, I'm being seen. I, I, I'm hearing about things that we haven't talked about here before. So, uh, so I can't tell you what it was like before 2020. I definitely don't think we've gotten everything right since then. But I can tell you that there's been a lot of really good conversation about recognition of special days and holidays and um, and also some challenges that have come up in that conversation too because sometimes as you know when you celebrate one group but leaves others to wonder why they are not being recognized right and so when we think about that being seen you said being seen and one of I, I feel like I've been talking about this a lot lately how when we develop these inclusive spaces we see each other we allow for that empathy to start to exist. So same question to you, Safia. When we think about holidays that have been traditionally been observed by queens, why do we need to celebrate um, different ones? And why is this conversation as nuanced and pragmatic, as you said, as it is so important to allow people to just be seen? Mm-hmm. I want to start by saying the same thing. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast today. It's very exciting for me. And it's so lovely to be able to chat with both of you. I look up to both of you so much. So thank you so much for having me. Um, in terms of your question, um, holidays are really significant to people for because they form such strong aspects of their identity and what they look forward to every year. And I think just the idea of having that space for people to express themselves and take pride in whatever identities they they have is really important. Um, and it plays a large part in people's well-being as well to know that their identity and their cultures or their faiths are, are seen, but they're also acknowledged and they're respected and accommodated for, which I think is one of the biggest things that as an institution we can really work towards to make sure that People of different faith communities and cultural communities are really, um, are really seen in that sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you started off by talking about it being a strong part of your identity. And I didn't even really think about that, even in the context of this conversation. Um, and I remember uh, Jermaine Marshall, who's with the Human Rights and Equity Office, saying on a, a national day that's celebrated in Jamaica. He's of Jamaican descent, of um, having their Independence Day and him being here and all of a sudden going on social media and seeing all of his friends celebrating their Independence Day and almost feeling like part of his identity had been removed or he felt like he was losing part of himself here. and. 
I really appreciate you bringing this back to the self, to how you personally connect. And so um, we have policies that have been in place for acknowledging certain holidays. And, and Dean Philpott, you would know that you can't legislate everything. That's for sure. <laughs> and so, probably shouldn't either. And you probably shouldn't. So what role would Queen's Health Sciences have if we decided to do things differently? So conversations about holidays is one thing, but you've taken on radical collaboration which is deciding to be intentional about doing things differently, radically, changing who we engage as the unusual suspects. So holidays and celebrations as part of the conversation, how do we start to understand our role as academia, as private organizations, if this podcast goes to others, what is their role in sort of pushing the status quo and changing that status quo as leaders in our community, in the event that we can't legislate it, what is our role in making those changes happen? That's a great question. And I, I think uh, something we, we do have to wrestle with, maybe why we're even doing this. Uh, so, you know, what is the role of the Academy of a Faculty of Health Sciences in this? And, and why is it important? Uh, you know, I'm, as I'm, I was hearing Sufia talking and, and thinking about um, the, the personal attachment that people have to holidays, and it is part of a person's identity, right? And I think, you know, we're in the business of health sciences, which often means health care. And when we go out from this place of the academy and go and work in health institutions, every one of those people that we interact with there also has an identity that's based on their culture, their background, their language, uh, the lands they came from. And I don't think we can be great health scientists or health professionals unless we learn to understand how much people's identity is tied up with recognizing the days that are important to them, the traditions that are important to them, um, the seasons of the year and what, what that looks like. So I think this is a place where we need to make sure that if you come into this place, you are coming to a place where we do look at uh, the complexity, the beautiful complexity of who we are as a as a group and the diversity of who is here that we learn from one another uh, in such a way that when we go out, whether it's the, when we go home at the end of the day and into the community, or whether it's when we leave this place upon graduation, that we will go as a person who, uh, who sees people uh, for who they are, understands them and, and has also learned how when you don't understand where a person is coming from, you have some tools to be able to say, oh, can you tell me about your tradition? Can you tell me why you're not eating today, for example? Can you, t and I don't understand, but I'd like to learn more. So we want to really equip our students, staff and faculty for being able uh, to see persons uh, in the context of their full identity. Mm. And that's often very difficult to put yourself in that vulnerable position to say, I don't know. I want to understand. I want to ask. Because everybody wants to be politically correct, right? So for me to ask, how do I ask? 
do I ask directly? Do I do my homework first? If my homework was wrong, how do I know? And so then we stay in a position where we don't ask and therefore changes don't happen. And so I'm sure Safia, as a student, as someone who is going through this process, going through, especially in the context of Queens, which demographics are, are very different from the rest of even Ontario, what role does student leadership, you being here, what role does student leadership have in changing institutions? And I'll, I'll just say that when we think about some of your of the graduating class of this year who have worked on getting, um, what's it called, Visual DX, mm-hmm. the, the tool Visual DX, you know, taking these projects on and changing the way that this institution looks at um, dermatology. It's, it's amazing. So what role do you think students have in elevating these kinds of discussions to an institutional level? That is an excellent question. And I just want to give a shout out to the class of 2022. Congratulations, <laughs> Congratulations. you guys. We miss you so much. And honestly, also shout out to all the advocacy that they've done and the advocacy that the years above them have done and really helped the classes after them really carry on their torches and and live more openly as as they are. And, and it's very, very exciting to see the work that they're, I guess, their subsequent years have been doing. So um, the role of student advocacy is incredibly important within this entire role because it's the students who kind of make up the grassroots when it comes to an institution. And a little bit biased from the grassroots perspective, but I really think that that's where change often starts because that's where the issues are often identified from people speaking up and sharing their their voices. I'll, I'd like to tell a little bit of a story of student advocacy when it comes to this topic of holidays and celebrations. Um, it's something that um, a group of myself and a couple of other students from the class of 2024 were involved in this past Ramadan. So Ramadan is a period of year where um, students were typically fasting from just before sunrise to sunset. Um, and the year, the month culminates with a celebration called Eid al-Fitr. Um, and it's one of the biggest celebrations within the Muslim lunar calendar. It's really important um, from a community perspective, from a spiritual perspective. It's a beautiful, beautiful time of year. And <laughs> this year, unfortunately, we didn't realize the group of students and I, that the date of Eid al-Fitr fell on the same day as one of our final exams. Oh. And the, the kind of quirk that comes with the lunar, following the lunar calendar is that you don't always know these days until much closer on to the actual date. So we found out about two weeks before that this was going to happen. But the official policies of our school has asked us to give four weeks notice and, and clerkship six weeks notice. Um, so that put us in a bit of a pickle. So what we did is we organized as a group of students and we were like, okay, well, we need to figure out what to do because this holiday is really significant for us. Some of us haven't seen our families in how many years and we really want to be able to celebrate this. So what we did was we gathered together and we first, we, I guess, contacted the people within the administration and people who we really wanted to advocate for. Um, and unfortunately, initially we found out that the only option that was standard at the time um, was that we would be getting an accommodation such that we would write the exam earlier. So the issue with that accommodation, however, was that we're still in Ramadan. 
we're in the last 10 days, which um, if there are any Muslims within the, who are listening to this podcast, they know that those last 10 days are really physiologically demanding and spiritually very, very important. At the same time, we had another exam that was scheduled within those days already. So it's getting a little bit hard for us to be like, okay, well, do we take this accommodation? Do we not? So as a group, we kind of decided, you know what? We're in medical school. We've kind of signed up for, for a challenge. We've signed up to, you know, sacrifice a lot of our, um, a lot of the things that are important to us because we care so much about our dreams. So we all decided, you know what? Let's, let's hold this and, you know, let's write the exam. Let's see what we can do. So the night before the exam comes and a lot of the things that we were talking about earlier about just like mental health and how it impacts a person's identity when they don't feel seen, a lot of those factors came back into play. People kind of recognized that this is one of the first times since the pandemic started over two years where people have had the opportunity to gather as normal. And that was really weighing on us. We were writing the, we were studying for the exam. I still remember sitting on my table, studying for the exam and just remembering all the things that I loved doing with my sisters, with my family, the places we would go, the people we would see. And Eid actually starts the night before. So we were studying for the exam technically on the night of Eid, which was whew, kind of a bit crazy. So together as a group, again, we, we were, we were thinking, what do we do? What do we do? We, we know that it's, you know, it's, it's the night before the exam. It's really hard to get an accommodation at this point. Instead, what we decided to do was, you know what? Maybe we can't change our own fate, but we can change things for the coming years. So what we decided to do was we would write the exam, but we would show, it to the ex show up to the exam wearing our nicest Eid clothes that we had planned to wear in the morning for the Eid prayer. <laughs> Selena, I see her. <laughs> and what we did is we told our class that this is what we were going to do and we invited them to take part <laughs> oh my god i'm tearing up <laughs> selena's actually tearing up right now <laughs> Go ahead. we brought treats after and we really wanted we kind of wanted it to, to be a little bit of an exercise in absurd celebration we kind of knew that it was a little bit ridiculous to be writing an exam in like these big sparkly clothes and kind of a really big day but we wanted people to know that this was important for us um and we told you uh, jamie about this and you know they they listened they said you know what if you guys need to you guys can take the exam at a different time the only issue was was that they told us a little bit too late <laughs> They told us about two hours before the exam, which honestly, shout out to them. Thank you so much for, for listening to our concerns and, and really hearing us out. Um, we know that the situation was kind of crazy and unfortunately, none of us could really take that accommodation either. But it kind of started this this ball of, of us having these conversations about which holidays are, you know, implicitly and explicitly celebrated within our school. We kind of, there was a, some, a conversation that was going on like, you know, we kind of accommodated for Halloween. We accommodated for Super Bowl. And those things, they're, they're important culturally, but they don't necessarily form really strong parts of people's identities and spiritualities. So we thought, you know what? This is something that we really need to advocate for in the future and something that we bring forward for the classes after us, especially as our classes become more diverse, as they, they, they start reflecting the demographics a little bit more of, of our patient populations. This is something that's really important what to do. What an incredible story of positive advocacy. Wow. I, I actually am speechless. I'm... <laughs> do you have photos of that? 
I just like I'm picturing like that is it's a stunning way to say okay we'll play by the rules but this is important to us and no one is ever going to forget what you did and I bet I bet no one will ever hesitate in the future to say we have to accommodate you started that story by talking about students and them being at the grassroots level and that story really just solidified or gave a perfect example of how advocacy and activism meet in a very positive way. So I often talk about Dr. Carolyn Shields and her definition of transformative leadership, which says that we use our values and beliefs to undergrid or firm the foundation of us taking stands that require moral courage, living with tension, and engaging in activism and advocacy. And you took a stand that required courage in that story. You live with tension because I'm sure walking up to that exam or sitting in that exam in your cultural wear was very awkward. It must have caused some angst and to engage in advocacy and advocacy. And I'm, I'm reminded back to standing in parliament with my braids and feeling for those first few days, like, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I in braids? People are going to think I'm crazy. Nobody wears braids here. Come on, Selena, why am I doing this? It's not worth it. Let's not do it. Let's just... But I couldn't because I had like six hours of braids in my hair, so I couldn't take <laughs> them out. But it speaks to the fact that we all have a role in some way, shape, or form, and your classmates joined in, those co-conspirators, those allies joined in and said, we're going to do this too. So I don't have a choice but to put the question back over to Dean Philpott to ask, what do you do with this? What do you do with this information? So there's ambiguity around the dates. You can't set it a year in advance. Can these accommodations, can be, we be flexible enough, or anybody listening to this podcast, can you be flexible enough to see this wonderful celebration of culture, identity, spirituality, and make those accommodations even in the flexibility of it all and the rigidity of traditional institutions? Can you be flexible is the question. We have to be flexible. Yes. I think, I mean, that's just, again, thank you so much. What a beautiful, a beautiful story. I mean, it, I think there, that was probably very, very hard for you and your, and your classmates. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all positive. Obviously, a lot of angst, as Selena says, and, and heartache as you went through that. But it will change this place. And, you know, it, it, there's, we have so much work to do in society writ large, but, you know, thinking specifically around uh, what we do here at Queen's. And as, you know, Selena says, this is a very uh, traditional institution. It was founded based on uh, recognition of specific holidays and not others. Um, but what you've described, I mean, I we at the Faculty of Health Sciences and hopefully the broader university community need to be very cognizant of of 
you know, the calendar, and as you say, the Ramadan calendar is uh, is a bit is unpredictable uh, from year to year. But there's enough of a general sense as to when what what the dates are going to be that one should be able to plan ahead. Um, I'm even thinking about you know uh, the opportunities of not only making sure that exams don't conflict with those really important uh, uh, spiritual holidays. But can we also, are there ways to share in those spiritual celebrations? Because we all know that, you know, uh, Christmas comes around and we have a tree in the Catherine Birmingham Macklem House, which is beautiful. And I think everybody uh, enjoys that. And that's, you know, the tree is not a Christian symbol, but it's a traditional uh, cultural symbol of Christmas. Uh, and people have holiday cookies at that time of year and all kinds of other things. But we don't see overt symbols of recognizing other major spiritual holidays to nearly the same extent. I've been to a number of iftar dinners over the year, and I always love them and find them very moving and 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 um, special. And I always learn something. And I'm just thinking, you know, uh, next year, could I would it be appropriate for me to host an iftar dinner? You know, is there, are there things like that that we could be doing, right? So I think just trying to be a little bit more, um, get it, get a little better every year at being able to find ways to demonstrate how much we want everyone to be included and accommodated. Mm-hmm. That sense of belonging, that sense of this space isn't just for certain types and I think this this is the goal of the EDI office, the goal of why you came here and established it as one of the first things that you did before the dean's action tables, before all of those other things. There was this office to say, we're going to solidify our commitment to not just saying that we are uh, striving for equity, diversity, inclusion, but we want students, learners, faculty, staff, to have a sense of belonging here. And as we think about belonging, and I'm I'm going to just stay on your story for a little bit, Safia, because I can't imagine, or I guess I can imagine a little bit to some extent, the challenge that that would have had on yourself if you were here by yourself. You had a community of people around you who you were able to say, let's let's try to figure this out. Let's try to do this. I want you to go back to those moments. And if we could talk about mental health and well-being, because oftentimes or most times there are people that are there by themselves. So what kind of impact does that have on your well-being, your sense of belonging? And your physical, mental, spiritual health and well-being. So I'm incredibly grateful for the people who really stood up with us and, and advocated for us. And I'm, and I'm always very grateful and my heart feels very warmed by those people who they stand up without expecting the, the accolades or the 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 prestige that comes sometimes with equity work, they really put their own kind of bodies and minds and reputations on the line so that they can support a cause that they know is important to their friends and their loved ones. And that's something that I really, really admire within a lot of my classmates that they do this and they've done this and they've shown up. Um, If I had to do something like this alone, 
I don't think it would have been possible, to be very honest, because it is a very nerve-wracking experience to advocate for yourself in such a way where, you know, you're kind of asking for something that you don't think it's unreasonable, but you understand that there may be people who think that, you know, this isn't being done the right way. You're not doing it in the right time. You're not doing it in the right manner of, of speech, for example. So just having your community around you when you're advocating um, and having the voices of multiple people involved is extremely important. No advocate is able to sustain their work on their own. And it's extremely important for your mental health, your spiritual health, and for the intentions and the sincerity of the thing that you're doing to involve other people with you. We really can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what Dr. Robert Livingston, who's a, a, a social psychologist and a leading expert in bringing equity into spaces, uh, calls empathetic courage. So we're reminded of the death of George Floyd and seeing people in the streets, you know, protesting. They weren't just people of African descent. There were all kinds of people out there who said, I'm not going to ignore this situation. I'm not going to sympathize with those people. I am going to empathize with them and I'm going to have the empathetic courage to go outside and protest with them and give them a break. Give them space to grieve, to be upset, to study for your exams, to do the things that you need to do to advocate. And I'm going to be there with you. And, and they call it, he calls it empathetic courage. And if anybody has heard me speak anywhere, um, I have always said that Dean Philpot is a real one. And when I say a real one, I mean that when we talk about allies and co-conspirators, in my life, I don't think I've known anybody to be as real as you, Dean Philpott. And there's a number of reasons why that is, and I won't go into them all right now. But from the perspective of yourself as a leader, someone who what, had the pen on policy, someone who people look up to, Safia said that right at the beginning of the, the podcast, how does critical allyship, how does the capacity to be a co-conspirator for this issue around holidays and celebration and others, what does that mean for you? What does that mean when you hear a story like this and know that there was others around? What does that mean in terms of an institution that is built on tradition? What does that mean it's, there's so many questions I'm asking here. Pick one at the end of the day. But what does it mean for you as an ally, as someone who has power and privilege? Oh, boy, that's a, a, a big question. And first of all, thank you for your very kind, your generous um, remarks. As you're saying that, I'm... Um, Thinking of a book, I, you're, you're so good at quoting all these different books, so I'm going to try and match you. So there's a really awesome book by a woman named Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, um, and it's called um, Women Who 
behave seldom make history. Anyway, it's a wonderful... (laughs) I love the title. I'll get the title right eventually. But within the book, she talks about history and history being sort of the story of people kind of shouting back and forth um, and and trying to have their voices heard. But there's a, a line there where she says, but the voices we most need to hear are seldom audible. And that struck me so... Uh, deeply because it made me stop and think whose voices am I not hearing and how can I help them to be audible so you know what you described there Safia is that your allies and I'm not a an expert in critical allyship but uh, I've tried to practice as an ally before I understood what that word meant um, I think it is recognizing some of us do have our vo- it's easier for us to have our voices heard. Um, and Selena has meanwhile looked up the title of the book, Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History. That's where that quote comes from. So read the whole book because it's fabulous. Anyway, um, and, you know, th- I, that title is just, as you know, it's on coffee mugs and things like that everywhere. It's it's such a great one. But, but Laurel Thatcher Ulrich talks about this concept of the voices that are barely audible and that those of us whose voices um, are a little bit louder for a whole bunch of reasons of unearned privilege um, need to figure out who's not being heard and try to amplify those voices. And so that's what your classmates did in a way by by joining into that um, advocacy work that we do. What I am I spend a lot of time lately thinking about is how many people's voices are still not audible. Um, because as you know, the ways that people don't fit in are often not visible, right? Um, and people uh, maybe there may be people in in small groups of one or two who don't feel seen or heard or understood and don't have anybody who will stand alongside them and have the courage, the empathetic courage that's necessary. So I I feel like we all have a bit of a collective responsibility to make sure that this is a place where if, you know, there are really good things about not fitting in. I like to consider myself a misfit um, in many ways, but we need to help people have the message that whether you feel like you fit in or not, you belong. And I think, you know, Selena talks a lot about belonging. Whether you see yourself here uh, in anybody else, whether you think there's anyone else who understands you, we need to make sure that you get the message that you belong. That's a tweetable. Whether you see yourself here or not, you belong here. And against your will. (laughs) (laughs) You're trapped. You're trapped. Now you're stuck. You're in third year. You can't go anywhere. (laughs) And you've made such an impact. You can't go anywhere. I'm going to, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to just, just round this out with, with, because I think that's a, that's a nice note to sort of, to talk about, um, because yesterday, uh, Dr. Notisha Masakwai uh, tweeted that uh, that the Royal Conservatory of, of Music just launched this new curriculum that includes Black composers. New curriculum. Oh, my gosh. With Black composers. And so, does that mean there there were no black composers in their curriculum until now? 
Well, we'll, we'll, we could dig into that deeper. We're not about to put Royal Royal Conservatory on blast. It's probably the reason why I only went up to grade seven Royal Conservatory with piano. And I said, forget it. I'm not going to do grade eight, which I, I still regret to this day. But it speaks to the point of, and even in the context of holidays and celebrations, if we celebrate this, what's missing? If we see that, what's not there? So I remember my son coming home one day and saying, uh, not to continue with this music thing, but he said, oh, I have to do a, a, a story or a project on the classics. And I said, oh, the classics. Okay, well, what are you going to study? Beethoven, Mozart. I said, oh, and? I said, you're in Canada. Any throat singers that you want to put in as a classics? And he looks at me like, what? So you don't have any classical, you know, indigenous musicians? He's like, no. I said, okay, so next time you do a project on the classics, ask yourself, why are they classic? And ask yourself what policies were in place that made it such that others were not classic. Why are they not there? If you see something that's there and there's a certain demographic, what's not there and why not? How did the Indian act? How did residential schools? How did various forms of removing education stop people from being part of the classics? And how does that play out today when we think about Christmas and Easter? And these types of holidays that are, in fact, the classics. How do we start to see what is missing? And we have to be intentional about that to then bring a sense of belonging. Um, so, Safa, over to you. Um, what would you say to the leadership at this institution or what would you tell listeners to tell the leadership at their institution when it comes to holidays and observances and what they should be doing? I think that there are a few things that would be helpful for, I think, people with the power and privilege to make changes to here. I think the first is, of course, it's very difficult for us to celebrate everything. Mm -hmm. But when something's being identified at a grassroots level as something that should be addressed, as being advocated for, it's, a, it's really important for that perspective to just listen and to really come in the middle and, and, and hear each other out. Um, figure out where policies can be flexible and where um, those accommodations can be made. Um, I think another thing just in terms of holidays that I would like to add is that sometimes we create spaces for celebration, but they're not always accessible unfortunately. So sometimes we might have um, dates that are overlapping with other sacred dates. Um, we might have, for example, like inaccessible environments where, you know, people may not be able to physically ac access it. They may not be able to spiritually access it. What I mean by that is that maybe, um, I'll give an example. So sometimes there are settings and it's particularly within Queen's culture where there's a lot of um, drinking and alcohol present. And sometimes that isn't accessible for a lot of people. 
um, I'll speak from my perspective as someone who's Muslim. It's just I'm not accessible. Those spaces are not accessible to me because they contain alcohol. But I've also chatted with a couple of other friends who are part of the disability community or other faith communities where being in settings with alcohol, even if they're the only people not drinking, they feel very much like they don't belong just because they're not partaking as well in those activities. Um, so that's just like some of the smaller things that I think we can do. Um, so those are just some of the smaller things that I think that leadership and 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 kind of the people who have the ability to make those changes can can maybe do but really it's an ongoing conversation and it's not a conversation that just stops with us chatting here um and again just listening and and having the strength to raise your voice is really important right and that that awareness piece yeah that awareness piece so even this conversation bringing that awareness to to Queens, to QHS, to yeah. organizations writ large. And that requires those with power and privilege mm -hmm. to create space, yeah. safe spaces for those conversations to happen and not brave spaces because brave spaces puts the onus back on you to oh, be brave. We have to create safe spaces so that you could say what you need to say without feeling that you need to be brave in that moment. So yeah, especially point. in those kinds of environments where the activity or the space has some sort of professional or academic advancement involved. Right. That's where having those safe spaces to challenge and kind of kind of change the culture is really important because you really don't want to be challenging kind of something that could impact you academically mm -hmm. or professionally. Mm -hmm. um, so really like it's it's important in that sense to create those spaces. For sure. Thank you so much for that, for grounding that. It's really, really important. I'm going to give it to you, Safia, for a last, the last word or a last closing thoughts. More stories, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have will. so many. <laughs> Anything that you want to leave our listeners with after this very powerful conversation? Oh, that's a big ask. <laughs> oh my. I would love for our listeners to know that holidays aren't just a day that we mark on a calendar or a significant event for a few people that, you know, if you just if you just mark it kind of superficially, like it's it's fine. Holidays form a huge part of people's identity and where they find community. And if people are already in a space in which they don't see themselves as belonging, not having access to those days in which the intention is to belong can have a big impact. And I think on an institutional level, we really need to start thinking about what are the ways in which we, one, implicitly privilege one hegemony or one set of beliefs or one set of one cultural identity. And how do we explicitly do the same thing? So, for example, we have a couple of holidays at Queens that are celebrated officially. Um, and we also have holidays that on an implicit basis are also celebrated by ensuring that we don't have tests or exams or major deadlines on those days. We really need to start thinking about who are the people who are being left out and what as an institution and as grassroots organizers and students we can do to make sure that people feel safe in their institutions, that they feel welcome, and that they, they feel that the avenues for change are still accessible to them and that they're not just limited to the few people who have voice. Well said. Well said. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Sophia. I'm going to turn over to Dean Felpott. Same question. What, after this very powerful conversation, what words do you want to leave with Queen's Health Sciences, the university, and beyond? That's a hard one to end off with, and it's hard to top what Safiya said in her, her closing comments, which I think were so powerful. And uh, this conversation has been really helpful. I feel like I still don't totally know what to do. Um, so I think I just want to acknowledge that it's still going to be hard um, and we're going to make mistakes. I um, There's so many ways that you can unintentionally exclude people in it that that worries me and I'm not entirely sure what to do about that. And I feel like things like social media make it so much harder because, you know, did I remember to celebrate, you know, um, cardiologist's day or did I remember to, to put out a shout out that it was, you know, the official month of recognizing, you know, a particular province. I mean, we can't, recognize everything and so how do those are it's really hard to know how do you make the choices and how do you avoid um the times that you might really be offensive by missing something i mean it's one thing to miss uh, i often think it's one thing to miss my nieces and nephews birthdays but if i miss my own kids birthdays that's mm-hmm. kind of bad mm-hmm. i yeah, we have to help each other to um, to do our very best to make sure that um, we are always learning uh, and seeing one another. And um, as I think as Safia maybe said it the best when she just talked about the deep significance. I mean, all holidays are not the same, right? There is there are certain ones that are deeply spiritual, deeply important to people's identity. Uh, And those are the ones I think that we really need to try to make sure that we understand together, that we don't miss, that we show due deference and respect and acknowledgement and solemnity uh, in in honoring those um, when it comes to particularly people's beliefs, I think. Um, But please help us, I think is my final plea. Please help us, help me. If when I make mistakes, don't ever hesitate to tell me uh, when the faculty makes a mistake or the equity office makes a mistake. I think we want to be in a spirit of um, openness to saying, I felt left out. um, And can you help me feel more included next time? That's beautiful. And I, I, I remember having a conversation with you a, a few years ago and you saying, I asked you a question about how do you navigate something and you spoke about grace. And I think that we could end on that note in saying that we could set, extend each other and ourselves a little bit of grace, knowing that we need to diversify spaces we need to create culture, a culture of an organization that allows for people to raise their hand and say, I'm not being seen. This is hurting me. This is a challenge for me. We have to allow those with power and privilege make that shift and create that space so that those barriers to your sense of belonging are removed. And I think with grace on each of those little on those levels. I think with grace at each of those levels, we could get to some 
sticky, amazing, patched together vision of justice. And that's what we want. So thank you so much to everyone who has listened. Thank you so much, Safia. Thank you so much, Dean Philpot, for an amazing conversation. And we'll have to do it again very soon. Thank you.